Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, joining you once again from Lace Towers. So I'm in the office today. I'm joined by a couple of guests and a co-partner, co-anchor, co-host. What would you describe yourself as, Debbie Mitchell? Co. Let's just leave it at co. I, I'm, co. There. I'm there for whatever you need me to be there for. Lovely. And today you're going to be there for me for mentoring, because that's what we're going to be talking about. And let's bring our guests in before we get to our fundamentally different question. And just as a reminder, if this is the first time you're listening in, we'd like to kick off these podcasts with a fundamentally different question, which is totally not related to HR. So I'll introduce Charlotte Whitmore, who is the Inclusion and Diversity Project Manager at Waits Group. Charlotte, you're right. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, nice to be here. It's lovely to have you on, lovely to have you on. And we've got Charlie Young, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Girls Network and also co-founder of the Equilibrium Gender Collective. Hello, lovely to see you. <laughs> lovely to have you on, lovely to have you on. Right, I'm going to start off with our fundamentally different question. And I'm going to start with you, Charlie, seeing as you were the last person that I okay. introed. So Tetley Teabags, Tetley, the company, has been monitoring. This is in the BBC News at the time of us recording this Thursday that we are recording. Tetley Teabags have been saying that they are monitoring on a daily basis their suppliers of tea bags coming into the UK because as we all know us Brits us uh, UK citizens we love tea and I can imagine there's lots of people that have quite a lot of worries about where they're going to have their tea from particularly if they're brand loyal to Tetley so my fundamentally different question to kick us off Charlie is what is the one branded item food or drink base that if you would, if you would suddenly read an article to say they're monitoring imports and you may soon run out, what could you not do without? I mean, I think tea is a strong contender, isn't it? Although I have to say I'd go for Yorkshire tea, if I'm honest. Definitely tribalism around tea. And I have to start my day with a cup of tea. I do love coffee, but the first drink has to be tea. I got into quite an indulgent habit over lockdown of having a cup of tea in bed before I got up. So I have continued setting my alarm earlier than I need to just so I can have my cup of tea in bed. So if that was if there was a shortage of Yorkshire tea, that would be a nightmare. I did have a panic actually over Christmas. I discovered a lovely cured sausage called fouet that seems to be sold in a few supermarkets. We formed a probably not very good for us habit of having quite a lot of fouet at home. Mm. And then just before Christmas, we couldn't find it anywhere. So I had a genuine panic that fouet was like there was a shortage around the world. It wasn't going to come back. Thankfully, it's it's appearing in supermarkets again. So we're all right for now. But there we well, are, food and a drink. I was going to say it wasn't uh, the middle of a certain supermarket that shall obviously name be named nameless in this particular oh, podcast. Right. It wasn't in the middle of that particular <laughs> supermarket, was it? So that therefore you get a little taster of it and then you never see it again. Yeah, no, thankfully not. Thankfully it's returned. Although that is, they tease you with those, don't they? Here's something they you really might want. Do. No they more. absolutely <laughs> do. They absolutely do. Charlotte, what can you not do without? 
I'm not particularly brand loyal, but one thing that I really love, and this is going to be controversial because this is a lover or hater, is absolutely Marmite. You know, I love it on my crumpets. I love it on toast. (laughs) I cook with it. (laughs) The kids and I used to make cheese and Marmite swirls where we roll it up into puff pastry. That's That's a big hit at Christmas. So, yeah, I think Marmite would be my food item of choice. So if if you were told you can't have marmite but vegemite's okay you'd be uh, you'd be rejecting that. No, I I lived in Australia for a while and whenever anyone came to visit me that was one of the things I used to say please can you bring some and like please bring a large jar. And so yeah, I really missed it. It's it's just a very different consistency to, uh, of vegemite. So yeah, definitely marmite for me. Interesting. I love Marmite. So I'm in your camp. I'm definitely, Debbie, are you a Marmite lover? And then what could you not do without? I am a Marmite lover and I'm a strong advocate of a Marmite rice cake with some Philadelphia on top. I mean, if you haven't, you must. So yes, definitely a Marmite lover and also a spoonful in your gravy, always. And tea, I'm with you, Charlie, on Yorkshire tea. Always have Yorkshire tea unless we have to have Barry's because my husband's Irish. So occasionally we get Barry's tea, which is a brand, not just I'm not nicking someone else's <laughs> cup of tea. Um, and a man called Barry. <laughs> yeah, it is a brand. Barry. I'll take that. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> I also like to have my cup of tea in bed before I get up. So, but I do like it delivered. I don't like to have to go and make it myself and then go back to bed. And uh, so I would go an extension on your Yorkshire tea. And Yorkshire tea make two other types of tea. They make a biscuit tea, which I have taken into the lace office and it has not gone down well. So, this is flavoured like a biscuit and a cup of tea. It is fabulous, but they don't like it where I work. Um, and then the other version that I can't live without is bedtime tea. I do like a nice cup of Yorkshire bedtime tea just before I go to bed because I am that person. I am that rock and roll that I have to have a nice herbal tea before bed. I absolutely at about at about nine fifteen. I love that. Do you know um, if my wife, not that my wife would listen, but if my wife, uh, she works in insurance, but if she was listening to right now, she'd be laughing her head off because one of the debates that we have is that I never bring her tea in bed. And I've got a couple of friends whose uh, the husbands do that to their wives and she's constantly yeah. ribbing me about it. But let's not turn this into the uh, HR on the Offensive Tea sponsored podcast. Let's get into the main crux of our discussions today. Debbie, I'm going to let you kick us off with the first question in a minute. But before we do that, Charlie, can you just give our listeners a little bit of a background on yourself? And then we'll get Charlotte to give some of her background as well. Absolutely. So I used to be a teacher. I taught in a secondary school in North West London, uh, teaching geography. And it was there that I founded my first charity, The Girls Network. And that was back in 2013. And The Girls Network is a mentoring charity for 14 to 19 year old girls from the least advantaged communities around the country. And we pair them one to one with professional women to build skills and confidence, but also to open up networks and opportunities that they otherwise might not have access to. The aim being that they can be really ambitious for their futures, whatever it is that they're passionate about they enjoy and then we can support them to realize those ambitions um, so they can have a mentor for a year work experience workshops and opportunities and then at the end of that year they become what we call an ambassador and they join our ambassador community and that's like a, an alumni network so they can continue to benefit from that network and those organizations that we work with but they can also start to give back come and speak to events peer mentor be inspirations for the next generation of young women and the hope is that cycle continues and we can raise a, a generation of many generations 
generations of ambitious, inspired, empowered young women to improve diversity and equity across the country, which is obviously great for everybody. And then more recently, um, I've established an organisation called the Equilibrium Gender Collective. So in recognition that gender stereotypes form at the point at which, or taken on board at the point at which gender identities are also taken on board, which is by the age of three. So working at an early year stage, zero to five, to look at how can we minimise the unhelpful gender biases and gender stereotypes that are impacting on our children as they grow up. And that mean that those children are holding beliefs about themselves that are unhelpful. You can be this, you can't be this, you should be this way, you shouldn't be this way. So all in that same sphere of trying to tackle those gender stereotypes and make the world a more equitable place. Oh, that's lovely. So Charlotte, tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself as well. Okay, so um, I'm Inclusion and Diversity Project Manager at Waits Group. Um, I've been with the organisation for a couple of years. And prior to that, I worked uh, in a similar role at uh, Richmond Fellowship, which is a mental health charity. And prior to that, I got quite a long career in financial services, including inclusion and diversity roles. But I also worked in learning and development for a long time and customer services prior to that as well. So yeah, I was, I was with that organisation for a very long time. My role currently is... Very very much looking at trying to create a fairer organisation. So trying to you know, make sure people are treated fairly, they're paid, and they're progressed fairly, and it's a family-owned organisation. And one thing that really attracted me to working for this organisation is they do genuinely care about their employees. And they're very legacy-focused, I suppose. You know, we've got really excellent site safety record. They're really innovative, really environmentally friendly. But it's not just about making shiny new buildings it's about kind of that place making and creating that environment got really strong social value ethics so creating a you know real positive impact on that community and in my role it's about ensuring i guess that our people are equipped to have conversations with a really broad range of colleagues and people that we interact with, really try and understand that different people have very different circumstances and actually what that means for them and help create an environment where they can really belong at work, whatever their background or their um, demographics might be. Thank you. I think what would be a really great place to start, you both bring very, very different uh, experiences around mentoring. And I think it would be really good to start with what we think or how we might describe what mentoring actually is. So almost a back to basics, right? And I think there's different interpretations of it and different ways that it's used. I don't personally get hung up on those kind of definitions. I think what, what works, works. But I'd just be interested in, Charlie, we'll come to you first, but what is your definition or your explanation around what mentoring is and, and what value it brings and then we'll ask Charlotte to do the same. Thank you. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it takes lots of different forms and there's lots of discussion about exactly what it is. To me, with mentoring, the mentor has some experience or knowledge that can help the mentee generally in a transition or, or something they're focusing on, something they're trying to achieve. So there's a period of time or something they're trying to achieve and that mentor can share their experiences and, and their knowledge to help that mentee. That said, I think it's always a two-way thing, regardless of who has the knowledge and experience. It's always learning both ways. And then it takes different forms in different contexts. So you obviously have formal and informal mentoring. I say obviously, I think obvious. You have formal <laughs> and informal mentoring. Formal mentoring tends to be much more structured. But when you ask people, have you had a mentor before? They'll often reference somebody that was 
perhaps more of an informal mentor. They never mm-hmm. had an agreement that you will be my mentor. And people often reference um, older relatives, for example. You know, my my grandma was a mentor to me or my first boss was a mentor to me. And sometimes that's an informal arrangement, but there's that sharing of learning and experience and sort of caretaking. What we found working sort of at the teenage age, there's a lot going on there. And so our mentors, we call them mentors, but they do an awful lot of things. And there are some lovely sort of matrix diagrams that describe the range of things that you might be for that person. So you might play the mentoring role, but actually particularly for a young person when they've had a lot going on, sometimes you might take more of a informal counsellor role. They're just to listen. They need to get something off their chest before they engage in the mentoring session. You might be more coaching for them. You might use coaching skills to get them to come to solutions. Or you might be a champion for them and be an advocate for them in a place. So I think for young people particularly, but probably in all circumstances, what you call a mentor is probably doing more than just mentoring. So that's how I understand it and would explain it, I suppose. Thanks, Charlotte. How about yourself? I think for me, the the way we use mentoring is much more career focused. So Mm -hmm. it's getting people to think about where are they now, where they want to be and what's their plan. And I think utilising someone who's got either the similar professional career or maybe actually completely different and is actually adding a completely different viewpoint can be really helpful. I've also worked with younger people and I agree there is a real diverse range of things that you can bring to that type of mentoring. Um, One thing that we're also looking at is reverse mentoring. So actually Mm. the mentoring relationship is quite different. It's where you've got more junior employee actually helping a more senior employee understand, you know, maybe their privilege and their advantages and the biases that they've maybe not thought about previously to get them actually to be able to make change in the organisation. So that can be quite an empowering relationship for the mentor, but it can also really, really support the mentee in perhaps ways they didn't anticipate. Can we pick up on this? Because I think this this idea of reverse mentoring is really, really interesting. I'll stick with you, Charlotte, and then we'll get Charlie's perspective as well. Do some of the individuals or have some of the individuals that you've worked with where you've implemented this, how challenging do they find that and that process? Because I could imagine there are certain stereotypes that, well, even I would have thought about before. I, I, I've heard about reverse mentoring before, but even the first time I hear that, you almost have these preconceptions, don't you, about, oh, well, this is what a mentor is. It's somebody that I look up to or it's somebody that looks up to me and it's somebody that's in a more senior or senior position to me if I'm looking up to them. But how challenging and what are some of the sort of things to look out for that you've seen when it comes to trying to implement reverse mentoring into businesses? I think getting senior buy-in is really important and actually understanding that it's not going to change everything immediately. I think it is very much one conversation at a time. I think the strength comes from having that relationship over a longer period. So initially we were running it for six months and we realised that our um, pairs were just really at that point where they really developed that deep trust. Mm. So actually running it over a longer period works much better. So, so now we run it over the period of a year. I think setting boundaries, I think that's really important. And I think from, from the mentor's point of view, you know, it doesn't guarantee them a, a promotion or a pay rise. And if that's what they're looking for, that's possibly not the right route. Mm. But it really does give them access to understanding what leadership pressures there are and how a leader makes decisions, how a leader might be strategic. I think from the mentee's point of view, they probably worry about saying the wrong thing. So, I mean, we've had six cohorts and they've all focused on race and ethnicity previously. So I think that's a real concern for senior leaders. You know, they don't want to say the wrong thing and 
offend someone. So actually that those kind of boundaries at the beginning about let's have that really open conversation. Let's put everything on the table. Let's mm. accept that if we're asking questions, it's coming from a place of wanting to understand, perhaps, you know, rather than, than wanting to offend. And that I think that really helps. But they honestly, they they are so positive about it. I think a lot of people, when you think about privilege, and we talk about this a lot in the inclusion and diversity space, when you think about privilege, most people think about like Downton Abbey. You know, most people don't consider themselves to be privileged. They haven't had a private education. They don't live in a big country pile. They don't have no concerns about worry whatsoever. And a lot of our senior leaders started as apprentices. You know, they have really worked their way up. So they don't consider themselves privileged. But actually, if you add race onto that, for example, you know, race and ethnicity onto that, and you start talking about the barriers that people have experienced in the workplace because of the colour of their skin, and they start to see that actually it's not a straightforward as I thought it was. And actually there are real barriers. And I think I think that that has opened up some really great conversations, some really great relationships to the point now where our senior leaders will say, right, I'm thinking of doing this with my organization. How will this land? Or how would you phrase this? I need to talk to this colleague. And I don't I don't want them to take this the wrong way. I want this to be a positive conversation. So they will lean on those mentors completely differently. And then for the mentors, you know, they've they've got a tap into the a senior person in the organization to say this is an issue for me this is a barrier how can i what tips can you give me to overcome this barrier and progress my career or whatever it is they want to do yeah charlie just from your perspective mm. um your kind of experiences of reverse mentoring that'd be great yeah of course so we set up a reverse mentoring scheme which we called girl-led mentoring uh, in the girls network a few years ago and a similar premise um it was the young women that had been through the program um who were a little bit older so sort of late teens early 20s were then trained to mentor senior leaders across some organizations we worked with so we had a fascinating our first scheme was with um, the metropolitan police which for many reasons was a really interesting piece of work and there were a lot of really important issues going there and the girls going and the young women going in really cared about what was happening so it made it a really powerful bit of work and i think you know for me what's so exciting about that is that you are challenging those traditional hierarchies and power structures so Charlotte you were talking about when people typically think about mentoring and you've got this idea of this senior learned experienced person and it's challenging well where does experience lie where does value lie and actually there is experience in value that is lying in these young women that the senior leaders don't have so you're kind of switching where that power lies and, and it's exciting to think that actually those young people can get close to the levers of power to bring about change so that's what really excited me about it I think another point you made Charlotte that is really important is about that power dynamic between those two people and how important it is to be aware of that and, and the intersectionality of that. So actually, when you're a senior person, you do have more power. There is a dynamic there. And I think we found it was so important to make sure we were supporting the mentees in that and that the sorry, the mentors in that and the mentees, the senior leaders really understood that they still held the, held the power in many ways in that relationship. And so I think as long as you're aware of that and can work with it, it can be a really, really powerful relationship and have brilliant results from it. I'd love to ask Charlotte in just a second about how you do some of that, get some of that sort of clarity for the different roles. So how do you make sure that power balance is right? But I just wanted to reflect before we do that on the interesting concept around the influence that those mentors will have when they're reverse mentoring so more junior members of of the organization or younger you know whatever the the kind of demographic is because i think it's interesting that they then have an influence on 
how that organization culture and values might be shaped or lived right so you talked particularly around sort of racial and I just think that's it's an interesting thing to, to consider is mentoring the traditional way is one thing but this is really allowing that demographic to have a to have an influence on how we talk how we communicate who we engage with and how we do some of that and really how we do our business right I think that's that's a concept I hadn't really considered in reverse mentoring I'd sort of thought if I'm honest and slightly ignorant but I'd, I'd sort of thought you know it would be a lot about Gen Z helping Gen X or the baby boomers like me to understand technology and what drives the younger generations and those kind of things and I hadn't really kind of given it that thinking the way you're describing it so it's really kind of opened my eyes up to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a risky thing, really, for both parties. They both have to be vulnerable. Um, mm. For our mentors, a lot of them are sharing very, very personal experiences where they've been felt psychologically unsafe or damaged, you know, in some instances, mm. if you're sharing a racist incident that's happened to you. But it's often little things like, um, well, so I'll give you an example. One of our mentors was sharing that um, generally they always dress very smartly. They've been decorating at home. They they were needed an extra can of paint or whatever it was. They needed something from the DIY store. So they went out in all their painty gear directly to the DIY shop and they noticed the security guard started following them around the store. And, you know, they were said they went whenever they you know, that's one of the reasons why they dress really smartly, because that's, you know, it's complete racism, but it's not, not something that the senior leader had ever even given a moment's thought to. They always get a receipt because they're always worried that they're going to be checked on the door. And mm. it's just these little things that impact your daily life. As a white person, you, you don't give a moment's thought to. So it was it's quite it becomes quite deep, can be quite emotional for some people. But I think the fact that the company takes it so seriously, you know, and we give this time for both our leaders and the mentors to have these conversations shows our commitment mm. to actually addressing it. And I think that gives the mentors the confidence to share. And a lot of them mm. have said they've shared things with their mentee that they've never ever shared before and actually yeah. to be encouraged to talk about race has actually been quite healing for them um, and imagine the power if that diy store had the similar kind of program in place how that might and that, that's a that's a bit my kind of revelation is how that might shape the way that they interact with their customers their policies their ways of working it, it could be really powerful couldn't it yeah absolutely i mean someone else was sharing they'd ordered food in a restaurant they were out with the family there was a big group but i had to pay for it before the food was served and again you know that's just not my experience you just don't hear things mm. like that so you know you're actually hearing real life stories and it's very hard to say oh we're not racist in this country when you have a person sitting in front of you giving you their genuine lived experience of what mm. that can look like so it's been really really powerful I think in line with that but sort of perhaps more broadly around mentoring I'm interested in how you connect mentors to mentees so Charlie I think I know a bit about the process in the girls network but but just talk yeah. us through kind of how that works there and and then we'll look at some of the differences Charlotte with how that might work in in corporate organizations so we take applications from the young women that are the mentees and the women that come on as mentors. And some of that sort of putting yourself forward is because you're entering into relationships. There needs to be that level of commitment and willingness on both sides. For the young women, we describe to them what mentoring is, what the benefits are. I think 
a lot of people, as we spoke about at the beginning, you know, actually defining what mentoring is, is really helpful for everybody. I think particularly the young people that have had less time to, to come across this and understanding the benefits of it. We also get some young women that have been on the programme before to talk about the benefits as well and, and how it's helped them and how they've got the most out of it. And then we encourage women from partner organisations as well as individuals to come on board as mentors. And for us, one of the things that's really important is we get a real diversity of mentors so that for the mentees, they can see somebody that they can relate to being successful in the kind of life they aspire to so it's that kind of you can't be what you can't see idea and being able to see representation amongst the mentors is an important part for us also we then want to understand why the mentor wants to mentor and understanding that motivation the safeguarding part is particularly important when you're working with young people being aware of biases that might come in obviously everybody carries biases but trying to make sure that people are aware of those that they hold so that can be a really positive relationship so we have we have a selection process training safeguarding for the mentors we also provide sort of training and induction for the girls and then we have a brilliant matching session which is a great way of I think kicking off the relationship so it's a speed networking evening and the girls and women get to talk to a range of different people we pre-match them on paper looking at their profiles so we think they're great matches but it's a chance for us to sense check that in reality and check that sort of in-person human chemistry Mm -hmm. and also a great way to kick it off because everybody gets to talk to people and and it's amazing how everybody's really nervous to start with meeting new people and I think it's quite a revelation actually for the young women that the grown-ups in the room are are scared too and it's quite reassuring when we tell the grown-ups don't worry everybody finds this bit scary until you start and then there's something about being face-to-face one-to-one with somebody realizing nobody else is listening like that person has no preconceptions and you can just present yourself and have a conversation and we have many teachers that will say to us gosh it's incredible these young women who previously were sort of slumped on the chair a bit reticent a bit nervous didn't want to join in still have their coat and their bag on sometimes and the minute they realize here's somebody who you know isn't my teacher that knows what I behave like at school it's completely fresh person that, mm-hmm. that I want to sort of engage with it's amazing how they'll sit up and lean forward and have wonderful conversations so that's a really great way I think of starting off the mentoring but that's the process that, that we use at the girls network thank you Charlotte tell us about yours so slightly different so we look at motivators so what what is the mentee trying to get out of the session what is it they want to know similarly what does the mentor feel that they can offer we look at some of that as well and what are their goals what are they hoping to achieve from the relationship geography plays a big part for us we're a nationwide organization and we know from having run six sessions previously that people really like to get together face to face you know you can do this virtually and the program is based on being virtual but we know better conversations happen when people meet up face to face. So we look at geography as well. And with that, when they're meeting face to face, it's the opportunity to get on site and actually see different parts of our business. That's really helpful to individuals. The mentors really appreciate that. And then we again, we run training for the mentors and the mentees, which is quite comprehensive. It's mandatory. You have to have attended it. And that's to really help both parties understand what the other is nervous about I suppose Mm. and that that really helps set that Mm. scene and again exactly as Charlie said you know that confidence piece for both parties is really they are really nervous about you know what they might say getting it wrong or how how it's going to work what if they don't like each other all of these things Mm. and I think the big thing for me is about getting that commitment that's another key thing for both for all of these programs you always get most out if you put a lot in but you know gaining that commitment from both parties is really important. Mm. 
I think it makes people feel really valued as well in that sense, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. actually where you're both nervous and you're giving a lot of yourself for that other person to understand the commitment and then to be present and turn up every time is a really powerful message about them being invested in you. I think that's really key. And yeah, I think as you were saying, Charlotte, that the kind of idea of um, certainly in a formal mental setting, getting to know that person, understanding their particular fears and concerns and you might have all the kind of programming and structures and things to cover around it but the fundamental is who is the person that you are mentoring or being mentored by and getting to know them and and being very human centered in the way you approach it because that's where you that's where you build a relationship and that's what essentially a mentoring relationship is it's a it's a relationship and it's about people we are coming close to time unfortunately which is rather annoying because i've got so many questions that i still have unanswered i wanted to talk to you guys about things like um, roi debbie and i have been speaking about that like how do you actually measure it i'm quite keen also talking about like the value of recognizing the type of culture that you have embedding we're looking to embed mentoring in because for some cultures that maybe that just doesn't work as well or maybe i'm wrong maybe it can work with any type of culture but Maybe we're going to save that, save that for, maybe we'll save these for part two, part of, the, two. Uh, of the podcast. Mm. I think we're going to have to certainly do that. One question I just want to kind of get a final bit on from both of you, and I'll start with you, Charlie, if that's all right. It's, mm. we've done 30 odd minutes of the pod today. We've only really just scratched the surface, but if there's one piece of advice for somebody, a HR director that's listening in or a chief people officer that's thinking, this is either something that we're doing, but maybe we can improve on from a mentoring perspective, or this is something I want to start embedding in. Is there any kind of quick nugget that you want to leave somebody with? If you only do one thing, try and think about doing this right now. Only one thing. That's a tough challenge, Grace. I'll try and be concise. I think there are, to not follow your rule, a couple of things. I think um, (laughs) (laughs) straight from the off, at least I'm honest. I think if you're setting up a mentoring program or want to, think about how you do it and do it thoroughly. Think about the purpose, get buy-in from a senior level and really make it work. I think if you do it in a half-hearted way, you risk doing more damage than good. There are lots of great examples out there. There are lots of people doing it well you can learn from. So think about and be really intentional about how you set it up. The other thing I would say is encourage your mentors and your mentees to mentor elsewhere as well. We've seen real power in organizations that have had internal mentoring programs and then their mentees join our girls network mentoring program and mentor somebody else and passing it on and using what you learn i think that really augments that process and and makes everybody mentor and mentee feel great about that and give them the chance to put things into action i think it's a really powerful thing so everybody should mentor and be mentored yeah and given that charlie decided to break my rules if you want to do you can do one charlotte or you can do two i mean if you want to you can say i've got 17 things that we need to go through but maybe just keep it to one or two if that's all right i, I could probably come up with 17 but i'll stick to, to maybe a couple so i think the, the key thing for us is following the data so one thing i haven't talked about today is our mentoring circles program which is a, a program for mid-level women who are mentored in a peer group by senior leaders and one of the reasons we did that was when we looked at our employee survey data, we could see that our women felt a little bit more isolated. We're not necessarily connecting with other women. They're often the only woman on site, for example. And they may some of them felt a bit stuck in their careers as well. So we so we looked at that kind of data and that helped identify who should be invited and in which roles. And then the, you know, the, obviously the the outcome of that is then you're actually able to speak to those specific concerns that those women had. So actually that helped us really target some of the materials that supported the programme as well. So it was really quite targeted in its approach. 
No, that's absolutely brilliant. As I said, we are basically on time, which is really frustrating because, like I said, I've written down about five or six questions that I didn't even manage to get to. But Debbie, thank you very much for co-hosting with me today or co-ing. Thank you, co-ing. Yeah, thank you very much. Too. I feel like we spent too long up front talking about tea and my Yes, mind. I do. I <laughs> do. Lesson I've uh, faux pas on that one. But uh, Charlie, it was absolutely fantastic having you on. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll get you back for round two. Please do. Thank you. And Charlotte, brilliant to have you on. Thank you for joining us. No problem at all. Thank uh, you both. Thank you. You can, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So if you check the lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast short link, you'll get access to all of our back catalogue. And we're on all of the usual places, uh, Spotify, Amazon Music, we're also on SoundCloud, all of that good stuff, Apple Music. So once again, thanks from myself, from Charlie, from Charlotte and from Debbie. And hopefully we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.